Go ahead and take your seats and open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. We're going to be picking up uh, in the story that we have been studying for these last number of weeks. And as we come to this point in the mission of God's people, and we see the unfolding story of this book, we need to remember that last week we saw the overwhelming success that had been experienced in Jericho. The commander of the Lord's army was present. The the walls came tumbling down. The glory of the Lord was on full display as his people followed him in battle and saw great victory. Success is all we've seen so far in the book of Joshua. The Lord is is with his leader and his people. The, The whole nation has committed to faithfulness. The spies have gone into the land and come back with a favorable report. Rahab has been redeemed. The people have miraculously crossed the Jordan. And then, of course, Jericho. But next, what we're about to see this morning is that something goes terribly wrong. If you look at the chapter heading in your Bible, at the beginning of the seventh chapter, in in my Bible it says, Israel defeated at Ai. What? Israel defeated? After everything we've read and seen thus far, this is a massive departure off of course. What happened? What changed? Is God no longer faithful? Has he forgotten his promises to his people? Has he changed his mind? Lost control? No, this is not it at all. Rather, what we're about to find out is that there is sin in the camp. The Lord has not abandoned his people. His people have abandoned him. What we see here in the next part of the story is a demonstration of the unchanging principle of God's dealing with all the earth. Obey my word and experience blessing, but disobey and you will find much trouble. This is what we saw first in the garden with Adam and Eve and then continuing straight away with their very first descendants. This is what God had Moses proclaimed to the people right before they were about to enter into the promised land. This is what we see all throughout the history of the old covenant. And listen, church, this is what we also see in the new covenant. Choose obedience and it will go well with you. But if you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. If you go your own way and and you think you know better than God or that you know, this area of my life doesn't really matter or, or maybe he won't notice. Listen, the Lord of heaven and earth promises you it will not go well for you. You will have no rest and you will experience mission failure. What God's word wants to teach us this morning is that we must take sin seriously. Sometimes sin doesn't bother us all that much, but listen, God's anger, we're going to see, burns towards sin. And so we 
to, we, we must cultivate a holy hatred towards sin and, and we must be uh, cultivating a zeal to do all that he commands for, for his glory and for our good. What we're going to see in Joshua chapter 7 and 8 is that failure to obey God's word brings dire consequences. And yet what we're also going to see is that God purposes these consequences to draw us back to him so that by his grace we can again experience success. Look with me, I want to show you from scripture four principles to deal with mission failure. The first one is this, God's word is intended to keep us from sin's consequences. God's word is intended to keep us from sin's consequences. Look at chapter 7 and verse 1. The word of God says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Again, to understand what's going on here, we need to remember the immediate context of chapter 6, where Israel has just completed uh, the first battle in the land that the Lord is giving to them. They've captured the city of Jericho. The walls have collapsed in on themselves. They've gone in, and except for the promised preservation of Rahab and her family, supposedly they've devoted everyone and everything to destruction, only placing all the valuables into the treasury of the household of the Lord. And here's why this is so important. This is in accordance with the command of the Lord. Look back in your Bibles at chapter 6, and specifically at verse 18. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, You take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Verse 19, But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. And here Joshua faithfully passed on to the people of God, God's word from Moses recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. This is the word of the Lord that the whole people in Joshua chapter 1 agreed, all that you have commanded us, we will do. But now here in chapter 7 verse 1, the the narrator lets us in on the fact that this isn't what ended up happening. God's word says, be careful to do according to all that is written here and you will find good success. But if you don't, if, if you choose sin you choose to suffer. Listen, church, the wise person heeds the warning. When when we see a sign, you know, when we come up to the edge of, of, or close to the edge of of a cliff, and we see a sign that says, stand back, Uh, slippery ground, unstable footing, don't come any closer, and then maybe there's a, a yellow, you know, picture of, of a, of a guy hanging upside down, having fallen over the cliff, We'd be utter fools to proceed forward to to check for ourselves to see if this was really so. How much more important is it 
to not disregard God's holy commands. He's given us his word to keep us from sin and its consequences. And he tells us, obey and it will go well with you, but disobey and you'll find trouble. And this is exactly where Joshua and the people find themselves right now. Unbeknownst to everyone else, Achan has failed to obey God's word and now the whole nation suffers. This is what happens, by the way. No, your sin doesn't ever just affect you. It affects your family. It affects your friends. It affects your church. Thinking all is well, Joshua commissions a portion of the army to go on uh, to the next city. And look what happens in verse 4. It says that about 300, sorry, 3,000 men went up from the people and, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and, and struck them at the descent and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. This is an absolute tragedy. This isn't at all what was supposed to happen. I mean, defeat, loss of life. What in the world is going on? Joshua wonders as he begins to lament before the Lord. Joshua falls on his face and he, and he asks the Lord, why has this happened to us? And he's about to find out what we already know. It's sin. Sin is why this happened. Look back again at verse 1. It says that the people of Israel broke faith. They broke faith. And the word that's used here is the same word that's used elsewhere for the sin of adultery. God charges his people with the ultimate betrayal of trust. He charges them with breaking their covenant with him. Here we see on full display that holiness matters for the mission. Without obedience, the result will always be mission failure. And God has given us his word to instruct us in the way that we should go. He, he's told us what will make for prosperous life of, of peace with him and, and of success in winning others into his rest. In the New Testament, God's word instructs the church in these ways, among others. He says, show kindness to one another. Do not think highly of yourself or of your own wisdom. Love one another. Don't repay evil for evil. Serve one another. Do not get drunk. Put away bitterness and wrath and envy and anger. Work hard. Don't be lovers of money. Don't steal. Abstain from sexual immorality. Forgive one another. And you know the list could go on. God has told us in his word how to live and, and yet some are experiencing the consequences of rejecting his word and in ways that we may or, or may not even realize it brings trouble not only on you, but on all of us as well. People who don't know Christ don't want to hear what we have to say. 
relationships are difficult or, or even non-existent. Deep sorrow and, and sense of defeat resides in our hearts. The, the, the spiral, the downward spiral of selfishness and hardness of heart. There's confusion. There, there's lack of necessity. And, and God's word even says in certain cases we experience illness and even death. And, and I know that, that all of these things aren't always the consequence of sin, but listen, listen, often they are. And they're consequences that God's word intends to keep us from experiencing if we will only do what he says. By God's grace, though, these consequences do have a purpose. And this brings us now to our second principle. Here it is. Sin's consequences are intended to have us return to God. Sin's consequences are intended to have us return to God. At the end of verse 9, Joshua asked the Lord, What will you do for your great name? And God for the praise of his glory reveals exactly what has happened and what needs to happen now. Look at verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned and, and they have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. The reason this has happened, Joshua, is not because I've carelessly gone and changed my mind about you all. It's not because of some failed military strategy or, or negligence in true spiritual leadership. It's because the people have sinned by stealing from me. This is how come I brought this trouble upon you. And if you don't lead the people to return to me, the consequences are only going to get worse. Did you notice what just happened here? the Lord told Joshua to stop praying. He tells him, you don't need to be on your face right now. You need to relentlessly deal with sin. And there's such an important lesson for us in this. Listen, all the prayers in the world will make no difference for you if you will not put your sin to death. Prayer is, is never a substitute for obedience. Sometimes we think we need to pray more or, or do more devotions or, or read another book. Or, or we question God and, and we lament and try to figure out why are things the way they are and all the while what God requires us to do is put a certain sin to death. He brings consequences for sin into our lives so that we will forsake the sin and return to Him. Did you see the worst consequence of all? See, of much greater significance than losing the battle. Of, of graver consequence than losing any upcoming battles that, that were ahead 
is the cause behind this. Look again at the end of verse 12 again and and circle this or, or underline, highlight this in your Bibles. God says, I will be with you no more. This is horrible. This is the worst consequence. This is the consequence for sin. If you don't realize that, realize that today. That, that the gravest consequence for your sin is that you will experience a loss in intimate fellowship with the Lord your God. God says you choose. It's either me or your sin. And you cannot have both among you. We, we really need to be sure that we understand this. You cannot expect to enjoy the blessing of sweet communion with the Lord if you will not put your sin to death. When we hold on to our sin and we, dis, we, we suffer discouragement and, and distance from God, He does this purposefully to have us mourn over our sin, to give it up, to return to Him as we would for a lost, precious treasure. The story continues to unfold, and we see this from a couple of different angles. The the Lord addresses the collective people, and he also focuses in on the one who has transgressed. Pick up with me in verse 13. Again, God says to Joshua, Get up! Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord, God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. God will not bless a people who tolerate sin in their midst. He holds everyone responsible to deal with the rebellion that is among them. This is true today in the church as well. Albeit, the consequence is not burning by fire, it is a removal of fellowship. We have passages like Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus instructs that a stubbornly unrepentant brother is to be treated as an unwelcomed outsider. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul tells the church not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. And then he goes on to say, purge the evil person from among you. Very serious action is required in the church when there is sin in the camp. Many Christians don't realize this, but this is what the Word of God calls us to. 
And we, we really need to be sure that we understand the gravity and the reality of this in our own minds. A couple of more uh, verses, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3. Again, the Apostle Paul says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you've received from us. Further down in, in chapter 3, he says, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. One more from Titus chapter 3. This time in reference to the specific sin of promoting conflict within the church. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. You see that the church must take sin seriously. In all of this, the people of God demonstrate their devotion to the Lord. They stomp out uh, the contaminating effect uh, of the spread of evil in their midst and, and they very clearly show the disobedient person that their sin keeps them from enjoying the presence of the Lord. And the aim in all of this, listen, the, this is so important, the aim in all of this is to draw them to repentance, to draw them to return to Him. And we wish this is what Achan had have done here. When the 3,000 men came fleeing back from Ai with, with 36 of the brothers having been struck down and killed, the hearts of the people melted, and rightly so. And what should Achan have done in this moment? He should have fallen on his face. He, he should have said, it's all my fault. He should have remembered the words of Joshua as commanded by Moses, as given by the Lord. He should have sought forgiveness from the people. He should have sought forgiveness from the Lord Almighty. And yet perhaps he saw Joshua on his face pleading with the Lord and, and yet Achan rationalized his sin. Maybe he saw all that was happening and, and thought, well, this certainly can't have anything to do with those devoted things in my tent. Listen, it's a very dangerous thing to rationalize and explain away your sin. When Joshua told the people to consecrate themselves with a full day's notice that the Lord would expose the one who was at fault, Achan had every opportunity to put a stop to it all. He could have exposed himself first and returned to the Lord and confessed his sin, but instead he held fast to his rebellion. He thought maybe the Lord didn't notice. Maybe he'll give me a pass on this one without any consequences. He thought maybe I can just continue on mission with everybody else. After all, I am a part of God's people. I'll just blend in with, with everybody else. I'll, I'll keep joining everyone for prayer and the reading and, and the teaching of God's word. I'll, I'll even do some good works. I'll, I'll offer sacrifices. I'll just carry on with the Lord and his people and I'll keep my sin hidden. 
hear this. Listen, sin in one area of your life will never be overlooked by the Lord because you're attempting to be holy in another area. God's word says, be sure your sin will find you out. Jesus says there is nothing covered that will not be uncovered. Achan was found out. The next morning, Joshua began the winnowing winnowing process outlined by the Lord, and the lot eventually fell to one man. In verse 19, Joshua says to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel. And give praise. And you might see a footnote in your Bible that that says this could also be translated, make confession. Make confession to him. And tell me now, what have you done? What you have done? Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. At this point, he has no other choice. He's been caught. He explains what he did, and and really, if we think about it, his story is not unlike just about every other story of sin. He was unsatisfied with God's plan. He coveted what God had not given to him. He he saw it it was beautiful. It was desirable to him, so he took it. And then he lied, and he tried to cover it up. How did this go for Achan? Dreadfully. Joshua's messengers went and and they got the devoted things from his tent. And in verse 24, it says that Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Achor means trouble. And Joshua said, verse 25, Why did you bring trouble upon us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. And then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of this place is called the Valley of Achor. Does this not make you tremble? God takes sin seriously, and so should we. The reason we're so taken aback by the punishment here, listen, this is so important, it's not because God is proving himself to be overly harsh or or unjust. The reason is because we think too little 
of the utter horror of sin. And now I need to ask you this morning, are you hiding anything in your tent? Is is there sin in your life that you think no one else knows about? And maybe God doesn't see it. He doesn't know about it. He's not going to bring any consequences into your life. That it's not a big deal. That you can hold on to this sin and yet maintain sweet, intimate fellowship with the Lord. Listen, if you're holding on to sin, without a doubt, you are already experiencing consequences. And if you don't return to the Lord, there are more consequences yet to come. Aiken's story ended horribly, but it doesn't have to be that way for us. The Lord says, return to me, and I will return to you. When we're experiencing the consequences of sin, here's what we can absolutely remember. Here's what we absolutely must remember. God loves repentance. God desires, he commands, and he desires that we turn from our sin and run right back into his forgiving arms. I like to say it like this. Restoration is only ever repentance away. God is so good. He he is so merciful to forgive us our sins and restore the fellowship, the intimate communion that we want to have and he wants to have with us. What does this look like, you might ask? How do I return to God? Let let me uh, offer to you a, a few adverbs here. Return to God like this. Return prayerfully. Get down on your knees. Get every other distraction away. Get alone with God. Fall on your face and ask the Lord to search your heart. Ask Him to reveal to you a a full sense of the utter sinfulness of your sin. Ask Him to grant to you uh, the appropriate sorrow over your sin. Confess this before Him. Ask Him for help to do this and ask Him for help to change and to live for His glory. Return to God wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. Listen, with this many of us listening this morning, there is no doubt that there are some among us who are holding on to some sin. You you think that you can hold on to your sin and, and continue in fellowship with the Lord and it's not working out well for you. God wants your whole heart. He wants all of you. He wants each and every one of his children 
to, to make and to maintain that commitment before him, to turn away from sin, to live a holy life of devotion to him and to him alone, and to not allow room in your life and in your heart for even uh, the holding on to the smallest of sin. No hiding anything. And do this immediately. Don't wait another day. You don't know what tonight holds. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Get before the Lord. Be done with your sin right now. Turn today. And remember this. For, for the day in which you stray to the right or to the left, to come back quickly to the Lord. Make this the habit of your life. Do this communally if necessary. Sometimes it's appropriate for for you to return to the Lord uh, just one-on-one. But where your sin has affected other people and and they have, have realized and felt the effects of your sin, confess to them as well. Seek their forgiveness. Restore your relationship with them as well. Or maybe it's just a sin in your life that um, you are, are just not having any victory in. It would be wise of you to include a, a brother or a sister and, and to seek the Lord together with the help of a loved one. Lastly, return to the Lord dependently. Dependently. Fully looking to Him and to His grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we return to the Lord, it is not based on any merit of our own. It it is not um, because of of our renewed commitment to the Lord that, that He restores our fellowship to Him. It is because He looks at us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we must fall on our face in dependence on the Lord, on His dying on the cross to to pay the debt for our sins. Recognizing that, that He canceled out the certificate of debt held against us. Achan was stoned and burned with fire. The Lord Jesus Christ was crucified in our place so that we could return to God. When we return to God like this, He grants the precious gift of reconciliation. He restores our broken fellowship with Him. And this is true if if you're already a follower of Christ. Or if you're not yet, it it can be true of you today as well. It may be that you're listening right now and and you need to return to the Lord for the very first time. You might say, "Can, can I have this fellowship with God that you speak of? And the answer is yes, you can. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God says, return to me, look to my son Jesus Christ, the one sent from heaven, the sinless one who died a sinner's death so that sinners could come to him and find forgiveness. 
If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, look to him today. Believe that he died for sin, for the sins of the world, and that he was raised again in victory over sin. He conquered sin and death. He conquered the penalty of sin so that you could have life everlasting. New life, the Bible calls it. A fresh start. A new beginning with the God of heaven and earth. Sin's consequences are intended to have us return to God. Next, returning to God is intended to bring us success in our mission. Returning to God is intended to bring us success in our mission. We turn now to chapter 8. And to uh, just summarize, for the sake of time, let us say about the first larger section of this chapter, uh, simply this, that, that when God's people return to God, and they deal with the sin in their midst, God is faithful to His promise to bring, again, prosperity and success. Look at the first few verses of chapter 8. Beginning in verse 1, the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. And look at the beginning of verse 3. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. We're back to the pattern. God says and the people do. And then what we would see in the rest of the account is, is that this time they experienced success in their mission. By the grace of God, failure in the mission does not have to mean that the mission fails. Return to me, God says, and it will go well with you again. Praise God for this, amen? Our Lord is merciful and gracious and he keeps his steadfast love for those who fear him and who walk according to his ways and do what he says. He's a restoring God, a God who delights to welcome back the wayward child and to give another chance at living for him. Did you notice the first words to Joshua after he and all the people demonstrated their return to him? Look again at chapter 8 and verse 1. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Does that sound familiar? You know, if, you're, if we're studying this book faithfully, our minds should go back all the way to chapter 1. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. This is exactly what God told the people through Joshua at the onset of the mission. And now, after a failure to keep his word, experiencing sin's consequences for this, and then returning to him, it's as if God's hitting the reset button. It's as if God's saying, okay, Let's try this again. 
I will be with you wherever you shall go. And then we get a new chapter heading above verse 8. The fall of Ai. This is the way it was supposed to go. Listen, circumstances will not always go for us the way that we think that they ought to go. That's not God's promise for us here on this earth. God's promise is that if we obey his word and and we shine a light for the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ before the watching world, he will give us rest for our souls. That's the promise. Listen, obedience to God always results in our good. The Lord isn't just some narcissistic dictator who who insists that everyone just does what he says because he's some power-hungry maniac. Ultimately, God gets the glory in our obedience. But listen, God's glory in our obedience and our joy and peace in this obedience are not two separate things. They go together. Finally, because this is what we see at the end of chapter 8, we come full circle now with this principle. See this very plainly. Success in our mission is rooted in our obedience to God's word. We come right back to this. Success in our mission is rooted in our obedience to God's word. Look down at uh, chapter 8 and verse 30. At that time, Joshua After the success in Ai, he he built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses. An altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel... He wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. See, kids, even in the Bible, the kids sat and listened to God's word. And this, these last, uh, last verses in chapter 8, they're just amazing. They, they proceed, the people of Israel proceed right to the place where God had previously ordained that they were to come to in order to write out and read his word. A certain pre-selected portion of God's word meant just for this 
exact occasion. This was a covenant renewal ceremony of sorts. Here, all the people of the Lord were in a valley between the two mountains, just where Moses told them to go. They formed here a natural amphitheater where all the people could listen and be reminded from Holy Scripture that all that they've just been through in Ai, both the curses and the blessings, was exactly what the Lord said in his word would happen. Cursed be anyone who does not obey the voice of the Lord your God. But if you faithfully obey, being careful to do all his commandments, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all his blessings shall come upon you. They just experienced this firsthand. It played out before their very eyes. The command of the Lord was abandoned and the consequences of sin were made plain. And then the people, they returned to the Lord, they obeyed his word anew, and they received overflowing blessing from the Lord, their merciful and gracious king. Listen, men, women, children, this word right here, this is our life. This is the word of the living God given for us to obey for our blessing. Go your own way and you will be met with discouragement and distance from him. You will have no peace and no rest, only failure. But obey the voice of the Lord your God and it will go well with you. You will enjoy the rest that he has promised for your weary soul, both now and for all eternity. As we think of one uh, very practical application for us as a church, uh, might I suggest that we go and do exactly what God had Joshua do in this passage? Why don't you go home uh, today or sometime this week and Select a portion of God's word that's very applicable to your life right now and and why don't you write it out by hand? Why don't you read it out loud? Why don't you meditate on it? Why don't you study and obey? That's that's one very practical application we could take just from chapter 8 here. There's one practical application from chapter 8 that I will not suggest. I I won't suggest that we build an altar and make sacrifices to the Lord because the ultimate sacrifice has already been made. God says to his people under the old covenant, he says, don't sin, but I know you will, so here's what to do about it. In the new covenant, God says, here's what I will do about it. Here's what I've done about it. God sent his own son to be the once for all offering for our sin. And now he says to you and and to me, he says, live your lives as a sacrifice of praise for what I have done for you. Let's pray.